I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast, and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here with three colleagues, friends, partners in crime uh, here in beautiful Newport Beach, California. I have Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Mr. Dea Pranas. Hello. And none other than Kenny Molina. Hey, guys. Glad to be back. Good. Hey, uh, so we're going to talk about an article I wrote today called All Time Lies. I did that on purpose to make it rhyme with All Time Highs. Uh, I like that. I like that. See what you did there. You see what I did. Yeah. I, I start out with uh, talking about um, Kenny Molina, you're a little bit younger, so I don't know if you'll feel the same feeling that I feel, but um, watching TV is a lot different now than when I was younger. Um, and this idea of streaming is a lot different than uh, TV surfing, right? Like when you used to go through the TV guide channel and try to figure out and the commercial breaks and all that. Yeah. You'd look forward to like, oh, Seinfeld's on this day at this time. I got to get home. Or uh, maybe you're a TGIF guy like me that you came home and you wanted to watch Urkel uh, in the new episodes. Um, a lot different now. Yeah, you missed a show. You may never know what happened. <laughs> you never <laughs> Unless you VCR recorded it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, gosh, gosh, times have changed. Uh, what I mentioned in the article, though, is uh, when I was TV surfing, I would always stop on Mythbusters. I liked that show. I thought it was uh, pretty funny. These two kind of nerdy guys uh, would take these uh, classic myths um, like, uh, you know, is it really true that you shouldn't eat 45 minutes before going for a swim or something like that? And then they would create these uh, these experiments to really test them. Um, and I thought it was a fun show. And uh, it made me think that finance has a lot of myths, too. Um, and, uh, Sean, you can attest to this being client facing is, uh, when you get questions from clients, they're usually not unique. They're right. usually questions or comments that you've got before. So one thing that I wanted to talk about because, uh, markets are kind of in this environment is, Hey, is it a bad idea to invest at all time highs? Um, and I want to know, is that a myth? Yeah. You mentioned that being client facing, you do hear a lot of different theories and questions and scenarios. And sometimes you may have had that question already that day, and it's pretty common. And then there's other times that it's almost pretty far-fetched, and, and you wonder what the source was, where they heard this, where they read it. And you, it, But one thing that – actually, Trevor taught me this a long time ago is you, you kind of pull on that thread, and, he's, and some of Trevor's clients listening has probably heard him say that before. We pull on that thread, and you say, oh, t- tell me more about that. And it is true because as you walk them down that path and they try to explain, well – because of this or because of that, they can almost have that aha moment that they're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make too much sense. And it kind of brings them back to reality. Like what, what questions are you asking to dig, deep, dig deeper? It's really kind of a, a balancing act because you don't want to come off rude, right? Mm-hmm. So like if someone says, uh, I think that the stock market's going to go to zero tomorrow. <laughs> And and so you're, you're scoff, right? Okay. You can't do that because if you scoff okay. at them, they think like, oh, that's a stupid question. And then they, they won't tell you what they think next time. So you have to be, oh, okay. What what scenario does that look like? Or how, how would that happen? That So walk me through it. And, and I'm not being tongue in cheek. So you wake up tomorrow, you log on your Fidelity app or whatever institution you use, and everything says zero. And they go, yeah, well... No, maybe not that. And I go, okay, well, no, please tell me because I, I want to make sure that you and I are, have the same expectation and same understanding that I don't think that would happen. I don't think we'd wake up tomorrow and a company that sells cheeseburgers every day just no longer exists. There's Every window's boarded up. They don't have a company anymore. And they go, yeah, you're right. That that wouldn't happen. So, okay, well, we invest in companies, not just this like mythical creature that we hope gives us more money in the future. And and I, I think that as you talk through the scenarios, and yeah, that's kind of the extreme 
But I, I think that there's probably someone listening that may have that worry. I like the way you mentioned that it's not a stupid question because I really, 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 really agree with that. Um, the, this idea that, hey, is it a bad idea to invest at all-time highs? If I wasn't in the industry, I'd ask that too. It feels intuitive, right? Uh, like markets aren't subject to gravity, that things that go up don't come down. Um, it's a good question. And in that question, like you said, when you pull on that thread, there are parts that can be true, right? There's times when markets do hit all-time highs where valuations are stretched, where um, you have to be prudent and understanding does it make sense to invest at this point? And what does history tell me? Or where am I getting my context from? I think the the problem that clients sometimes run into, and we've talked on this podcast about heuristics, is um, they remember hearing something. Like we talk about with myths. Um, you know, my mom always said, uh, don't do this, and that's why I don't do it. Uh, a funny little anecdote, um, uh, Jim O'Shaughnessy, he wrote uh, What Works on Wall Street. And uh, his mom would always, uh, when she would cook the ham, she would cut the ends off of it. Um, and he asked her one time, hey, why do you do that? And she goes, I don't know. Grandma always did it that way. So he calls his grandma and she goes, why did you do that? Any guesses? That's because your great grandma yeah. always did it that way. That's no, Her mom did it. It wouldn't fit in the pan. So uh, <laughs> even though his mom had a larger pan and everything like yeah. that, it was it, the whole purpose of it was this. It wasn't about how it cooked or anything like that. So was it silly that she did that? No, it's the way that she learned. But the the purpose was disconnected from the activity. Yeah, very. There's a, I think there's a quote that says it's human nature to hang on to tradition, even though it's outlasted any possible utility. And I think that's a great example of that. And as far as uh, heuristics go, I think people are always looking for shortcuts and uh, you know, having to critically think about every single nuance is hard. So it's a, you know, it it does serve us well to just have, uh, you know, just these really quick concepts that we can go to, so we don't have to think about it. Oh, if something's at all time high, stay away from it. Okay, that 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 feels like it could be true. So let's just let's just make it true and uh, simplify our lives. But our job obviously is to uh, is to look at uh, is to dig deeper and try to understand uh, how each case is different. And uh, try to understand, as, as Trevor's saying, that these myths and what does that exactly mean if a market is at all-time highs and how does that translate to our investing strategy? Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, a, a market being an all-time high obviously doesn't mean a market's uninvestable. An example that, that I, I like to use is uh, if you're looking at a real estate proper, property and you're saying, oh, wow, the, this real estate property is at all-time highs. But you're looking around, and there's more people in the area that has ever been. Uh, there's more commercial uh, buildings in the area that's ever been. There's more economic activity in the area that's ever been. Okay, it actually makes sense that it would be priced at all-time highs. There's just a lot more going on. And it's and there's more people moving into the area. So it's, it's something you're going to want to hang on to for long term. So uh, I think understanding uh, the different factors and, and what all this stuff is conditioned on is really important. Yeah, that's a good point. And when you say all-time high, like in the stock market, I, I think people forget that there's different sectors. So uh, there's different valuations for those sectors too. Kenny, may maybe you can touch on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, different sectors, different economic activity, as Dea said. Uh, and uh, the article, I think, uh, maybe halfway makes a really good point of saying um, that, that 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 necessarily uh, isn't a bad thing when you properly diversify your portfolio, Right. Uh, so there you're kind of making a bet of saying, um, you know, hey, the norm and the expectation of economic growth, as Dea said, uh, in real estate, it might be demographic shifts. 
is that these companies innovate and grow. And so when you have a properly diversified portfolio or, or you spread out across sectors and styles, whether that's consumer staples or technology, uh, you're kind of making a broad bet of saying, hey, in general, I think that where economy will go, where the target is moving towards is positive, And so I should do well. Whereas if maybe you take a bet and it's overvalued, you may be subject to perhaps a correction, volatility, and you might take a hit there. But in a portfolio where you have things kind of moving in different directions, in general, that should probably work out for you or in, over the long term. One thing that I think about when I was writing this article is how funny language is, because we use this term all-time highs. Mm. And naturally, like, we always work in opposites, right? We want to understand one thing by looking at what the opposite of that thing is, right? So the opposite of up is down and, and so on and so forth. So are, are there all-time lows? There's not, right? The all-time low would be just whatever the, the beginning, beginning was. <laughs> yeah, when markets started. Um, so when you start to laugh about that and think about that and you're like, Oh, okay. Actually, I, well, I guess it would be zero. Zero, yeah. yeah. Zero would probably be all time low. Yeah, whatever the starting point is, and it's yeah. funny to laugh about it. But if that is true, then what can you conclude is that there is kind of always a grind higher, right? It doesn't mean that. Um, I, I guess it's not a, a scientific truth that markets will always push forward and go up. But one of the things I mentioned in the article is: are all time highs rare or common? They're really common, right? We, we took this sample size of maybe 30 years or so, whatever it was, 37 years, and there was 777 all-time highs. Mm. Um, and why is that true? Well, if you look at a chart and the it's going uh, up and to the right, um, you can see that it has that, that momentum or that push or that grind higher. And I am arguing that because... Um, the, the world of business, that's what stocks are, Sean, Sean mentioned, um, it is survival of the fittest, right? Uh, some companies will thrive and some companies will go to the wayside. Um, and the companies that thrive will be measuring themselves by what they did last week, what they did last month, what they did last year. And if their challenge is always to do better than they did last time, they're going to come up with new efficiencies and productivities and things to push earnings higher. And do earnings have a relationship with markets? They do, absolutely. So we would, one, conclude that since we're not buying a set portfolio and setting it and forgetting it, and there's companies coming in and out, that, yeah, it could make sense that something could have a, a perpetual push towards all-time highs. Yeah, I, and, I, and I, I like that uh, you and Sean are talking about companies because I think uh, this idea of the market can start to get a bit abstract and disconnected from the real world. But if you bring it back to like what Sean said, these are we're, we're, we own we are part owners of businesses. Uh, this whole like we invest in the market. Uh, how about we think about let's frame it a different way. We are mm -hmm. part owners of businesses, and these businesses have underlying cash flows. These businesses have customers, and this is how the earnings of this business have been over time for X, Y, and Z reasons. I think that's more tangible, and it helps uh, helps people understand. Uh, the investing strategy a little better, and, and uh, I think you guys would agree. It's it's uh, it probably uh, helps behavior a, a little bit to think of things that way. Uh, in addition, one of the things that make it so make things so complicated is there's a difference between price and value. Uh, and what we see on our on our screen is what things are being priced at, what securities are being priced at, what the market is being priced at. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that that. Uh, whatever the market is being priced at should be the true price of the market. No, the, the market moves around for all sorts of reasons. It oversells. People uh, people are overbuying. 
Uh, there's all sorts of reasons why something may not be it, uh, what they call intrinsic value, which is an unobservable thing, but something that uh, you can uh, arrive at by using some analysis and having some sort of idea of what something should be valued based on the cash flows that it's generating. And uh, there's all sorts of uh, ways to to arrive at the value of, of an asset, but, uh, but the most common way is to look at the cash, flow, cash flows that it's generating over a number of years sum that all up and discount it to the present day value. And uh, once you, 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 you have some comfort in valuing assets, uh, you don't really care too much if the price is bouncing around a lot because you have, a, you, you have, you have an understanding of what it's really worth. So uh, I, think that, I think that helps uh, to, to think, of, uh, you know, think of things that way. Better, if, yeah. if we shorten up what you said okay. to make it real, no, I'm just saying to make it really easy because I love what you said, but to make it really easy for the listener is that you're doing that due diligence and that work to find out what is the return on my investment that I am going to put X amount of dollars out and my expectation is this is what I'm going to get back over this time period. And I think that's what you're defining from um, an analyst perspective. Exactly. Uh, well, it's, it's like the lemonade stand example. Let's say you buy a lemonade stand for a thousand dollars and uh, the money that's left over the, the uh, left over in the till at the end of the day from lemonade stand after all your employees are paid, after you've uh, you've spent all your money on you ran lemons. a good lemonade stand. Yeah. I never had employees. Dollars, but, employees. No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many lemons you got either, but yeah. uh, but as far as the money that's left in the till at the end of the day, let's say it's a hundred it's it's a hundred dollars. So your investment has generated a ten percent rate of return that year, and it's likely to do the same thing get next year. So maybe a thousand dollars is a good a uh, good price to pay for that asset. Um, you know, maybe you got a really good deal, but maybe if it was only generating two or three dollars at the end of the year, uh, if that's what was left until maybe that's not such a good buy. So, doing that work and understanding the business, I I, I think uh, makes you uh, a lot more comfortable uh, when you see markets moving up and down. That gets us back to why language is so important. You go back and you read a book like The Richest Man in Babylon, and and uh, like I'm thinking about the magic formula. Um, mm. He talks about the lemonade stand in that book, uh, Joel Greenblatt. Oh, Greenblatt, yeah. uh, and. It's just this idea saying, hey, I know we have this whole language of finance, but really um, the concepts are somewhat intuitive. Very intuitive. Very intuitive. And um, if you kind of take your time or, or read somebody that's willing to teach you in that way, uh, you're going to have that light bulb moment that you're not owning the market, that you're owning businesses and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, you know, a bit of that intuition maybe goes back to that conversation you guys have with clients where you- as you said, hey, there's no bad questions. Uh, and, uh, you know, you guys got me thinking about that. It's like, uh, what does it look like for the market to go to zero, for example, right? Or all these businesses go to zero. I think I've had the conversation with a couple of, you know, peers in the industry, sometimes even friends. Uh, and, and you know, kind of deriving that intuition and saying, really, if it went to zero, the last thing on your mind is your retirement account. You probably have <laughs> much bigger problems at that end, right? So what is the probability that you have some kind of uh, catastrophic well, economic failure? The world would have to come to an end. That's exactly right. So <laughs> so don't worry about it, essentially, right? At that point, it's like, it, it, here's this uh, like black swan, uh, left tail scenario. If that were to happen, you don't have to worry about your Roth anymore anyway. So, you know, the, we wouldn't even have the conversation. And, and same thing about the highs, right? If generally you think that uh, the economy is progressing toward, uh, you know, uh, in a positive, you see innovation, you see investments, you see uh, consumer confidence. If, if you as, as an investor, you have the confidence to say, hey, my job is relatively secure. I have pretty you know, positive uh, outlook toward what that'll look like at the end of the year or maybe a couple of years down the line. Uh, then it's, you know, um, and you have a, a properly diversified portfolio of investments. 
uh, th and you revisit your thesis, if there's probably you know anything to look at, do you see volatility, and, and you kind of have that in, in mind as an investor, you're probably going to do all right in, in the long term. And, and intuition kind of tells you that, right? And being able to work with your financial advisor and, and having objectives in your portfolio is going to make that uh, that journey as an investor probably that much, uh, hopefully, easier behaviorally. Yeah, and Trevor, you mentioned it in the article. That's why it's so important to have a plan because if money is earmarked for something, an upcoming expense, it shouldn't be invested in stocks anyways. Yeah, you're exactly right. And um, that's where in the article I kind of started talking about this idea is that um, sometimes your own experiences – can uh, begin to tell you whether that myth is true or not. So, um, you know, I'm trying to keep it simple. So maybe you did uh, eat a burger and then jump in for a swim and you got a cramp and you're like, oh, that those two things <laughs> are like, correlated. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's the hard part is that um, when somebody tells you, hey, I don't want to invest in all-time highs, you got to ask the question because did they do that before? Uh, I I know a client conversation that comes to mind for me, a new client to the Bonson Group that invested in February of 2020. Man, that's a tough time to invest, right? It's a tough time to f experience those first 30 to 45 days and get that real punch in the face uh, that we talk about from a textbook perspective, right? That, hey, this could go down 30 to 35%. And it's like, hey, welcome to the group. Here's your welcome gift. And guess what? We're experiencing that exact thing that we talked about. Um, that then feels like, ooh, all-time highs, don't touch that stove. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why you have to have that conversation. Again, mm. I don't know, conversations sometimes aren't as powerful as experiences, but to say we got to be willing to own these things for X amount of time. Um, because when you zoom out, does it feel uncomfortable to invest in February 2020 today? No. You made some money, right? Uh, you're up. Um, if you invested in uh, whatever, October 2007 or whatever that high point was, um, what did it look like one year out? Ouch, down 37 or 40%. Uh, what did it look like five years out? Okay, now you're getting some momentum. You're probably uh, you know flat, maybe 1%. Um, but then you look 10 years out, 15 years out, you're talking about compounding at double-digit returns, even with this horrible starting point. So what people get wrong a lot of the time is it's that short-term emotion compared to that original purpose or plan for the money. I'm not saying it's easy. I, I'm just saying, I, I, I use this analogy a lot, like you don't go put a, whatever you're cooking, whether it's a cake or a steak, in the oven, and then two minutes later walk over and take a little piece and taste it and be like, oh, this isn't good, I'm taking this out. Uh, why? Because your intent was to leave it in for... 45 minutes or whatever whatever the time period was. Yeah, that's why it's so important to have that uh, broader perspective and an understanding before and a philosophy before you go into uh, your uh, you know investment. I think in what Trevor is saying is totally true. I, I, people draw false lessons from the market all from that their investing experiences all the time and their worldviews and outgrowth of their experience and it's it's permanently warped and it's totally wrong. And it's sad. It's really sad to see somebody who's so convicted into something about something is totally wrong. Um, I, I, I mean, I see it time and time again. So I, I think just ha just having an understanding of what you're doing before you do it and having that strategy is uh, is extremely important. Sean mentioned earlier this idea of pulling on the thread. 
Um, but sometimes that thread also has to have context to it, right? I know one of the papers that I read that I feel like in finance was a little bit life-changing was uh, Michael Mobison wrote about base rates. Um, when you start making assumptions, uh, you look at your base rate. Uh, how common has what you thought is going to happen happen? Like let's say you think a retail company is going to X price. Okay, what? how much do they have to do in sales? Let's find an example of another company that's done that in sales. And what was its growth rate and this, that, and the other? Because when you begin to contextualize it with base rates, then you, you start to think, okay, this actually has to be the best company ever, ever. in history. <laughs> um, and it, could that happen? It could, but it wouldn't be the norm. It would be the exception. Yeah, like um, the, uh, a certain movie theater company, I remember there was an article, and I think they wrote it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it was to that point that they would have to sell out every single screening 100% capacity, and every person that went to the movies would have to spend $200 per person for it to maybe justify the stock price. And it's like, oh, I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, and one thing that they don't publish in markets, which we wish they did, is who owns this stuff? So maybe you're jumping into a movie theater company thinking that you've got uh, a bunch of investors around you, and you don't realize it's a bunch of speculators that have very different intentions than you. Um, And all of a sudden, you get caught, caught holding the hot potato. So this idea from Michael Mobison about base rates, I think uh, it just forces you to a place um, where you have to uh, think deeper. And I really liked it. Daya mentioned last week's podcast, um, these how basically if he's talking to somebody who's a single scenario thinker, um, that they are confident the outcome is only going to be this, um, he kind of, uh, you know, walks away. <laughs> He's like, thanks for your opinion. But, um, you know, that's not how the world works. Um, and, and we've talked about it before, but uh, if you're an architect and you're building a building, you're not building one fire exit. Why? Because is there ever been a time where uh, that's where the fire was or something fell over or the door wouldn't open? You've got to have multiple exits, right? There have to be three, four, five, six outcomes to be a, a single scenario thinker. Um, I, I think pigeonholes you can get you in a lot of trouble. I, I I absolutely think so too. And Trevor mentioned uh, Mobison on base rates. Uh, just uh, when you're thinking about the market, it's important to realize that let's uh, understand what scenario we're talking about, and uh, let's essentially look at historical data to understand uh, how this scenario in the past played out. And to tie it back to all time highs, it would be like okay, so generally speaking, when the market is at all time highs, what is the market's performance generally 12 months later? Uh, and I don't, don't know the exact data on me, but I can guarantee you that it's positive, that the performance is positive. Or do you have that data? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Oh. I, I don't have the like the all of market history, but I took this 37-year sample size from one of the bloggers in here, and he basically said there were 777 all-time highs, mm. right? Uh, over that time period, the average rate of return was 10.2%. But if you just did the 12 months after hitting an all-time high, that uh, rate of return was 11.5%. So it was actually an elevated rate of return um, post-hitting that all-time high. Right, which is incredibly powerful. So you don't have to rely on your feelings or anything like that. Uh, I mean, but you tell me, isn't it enough to tell to a client or prospect that is worried about investing at all-time high? Say, look, uh, if you look at this historical data going back X amount of years, when the market has reached all-time highs, 12 months later, it's up on average about 11.2%. But that still doesn't do the trick. It could. I mean, I think when you're talking to somebody, they are they are unsure and they know they don't have the facts and data and their uncertainty wants to be met by some level of confidence that you can bring to the table. 
I think you are doing somebody a disservice if you bring that confidence with a guarantee or a promise or um, some idea that you have the crystal ball. Um, I think you play out both scenarios. Could you be investing at one of those all-time highs that's February of 2020 and you're going to experience that 35% uh, downswing in the first couple weeks of being an investor? Yes, that is possible. Is it probable? Eh, maybe not, right? Because that, that, that is something that happens less than often. Um, but it, it's a scenario that could play out. But do we have a game plan if that happens? Yes, we're not resourcing this account for the next decade. So now let's look at what do what do averages look like over decades or 15 years and, and so on and so forth. And then you get back to this idea that there is a relationship between risk and reward and that you do get paid a premium for being willing to go on that roller coaster ride. So um, the answer to your question is, is one little factoid going to change somebody's uh, emotional makeup? No, but I think knowledge is power. And I think giving them that education over time I think two things happen. I think one, um, they have a more robust understanding. And two, their trust in you goes up because ultimately, if you're a a fiduciary and a solid advisor, that's kind of what you want because these people should be going out and doing life. They should be going to the lake with their kids. Uh, They should be celebrating birthday parties. They should not be studying market data uh, on a Tuesday night or a Saturday morning. Um, If they are, (laughs) maybe for a hobby, I don't know. But um, that's uh, that's what we're here for. Um, That's the gap we're supposed to be filling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think this article hits a pretty good point. Uh, something we've covered a bit you know, through this conversation where uh, there's going to be myths. Uh, people are going to come in and they're going to have, as Daya mentioned, natural heuristics where, hey, this just feels like a bad time. Maybe I shouldn't come in. And then as Trevor said, you can try to combat that. Uh, one of the most effective ways is just knowledge. Uh, from personal experience, I think when I had just joined the group, uh, Daya, uh, the director of our department, sent me this kind of risk survey. And he said, hey, I just kind of want to see your personality regarding investments and losses. Uh, and I think it came out as like the most loss averse, like risk uh, avoiding person in the uh, ex- entire planet. I think it was something like, yes, perfect. In, you're in hired. You were yeah. probably like, this is a test. <laughs> yeah, it was a test. So, yeah, it was something like I, I feel losses uh, like four or five times more than the average person, something like that. Right. Uh, yet through uh, just capital markets, knowledge, uh, kind of looking at time periods of market volatility, those kind of things, you know, my, my current uh, investment allocation is pretty much like maybe 101% equities, right? Even though, uh, because I kind of fight that with the knowledge of saying, I don't need this money. I, my The whole objective of this capital is just appreciation. And historically, one of the best ways to do that is exposure and markets, investments, those kind of things, right? Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I suppose that that's personally for me at work, then I have to assume for investors, for your clients. Um, the only thing you really can do is just try to educate them and then kind of help them confront those myths, as you mentioned, uh, sometimes through logic, right? I, I think sometimes when someone kind of works for an answer, they believe it that much more. Uh, so I, I, would, I would agree with that being kind of one of the most yeah. effective ways personally that I would probably go. Uh, well said. Those. And to Daya's question that, you know, just explaining the facts to the client, does that help? It does help. But like Trevor said, uh, people learn for, through experiences. So what, what really does it is as time goes on and these things happen, and then they see the truths over time come to light, then it gives them more confidence in us and they trust us. And then the next time it happens, it's a lot less of a conversation. And rewarding good behavior. Hey, you made it over the last 12 months? High five. That was not easy. Like mm. that was level 10. Um, so if you wanted to know uh, what level 10 felt like, that was it. Um, that is 
different than some of the market scenarios I've talked about because sometimes you'll have to endure a little bit more. But as far as the impact, the initial impact, that was it. That's what going down 36% feels like. Um, now, one thing you can learn from that, uh, go back to base rates. How often has it bounced back that quick? Not very often. That was rare. So the next one that comes along, it's not only going to be that same impact, but uh, that pain's going to last a little bit longer. But we're ready for it. Um, let's assume that. But I, I think being able to recognize that and celebrate it because, man, that is the hard part about markets. Like De- or Kenny just said, um, part of building uh, generational wealth is being able to compound for a long time. Part of being able to compound for a long time is the ability to stay invested. Yeah, that's true. And it's uh, I, I remember I, I had a client that called me uh, right during March of last year. The market was down a ton. And uh, I, I was trying to say exactly that. Like, look, we have to stay invested for X, Y, and Z reasons, all these timeless principles. And he's like, yeah, but that's your advice every time is to stay invested. And I mean, it kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, yes, that's going to be my advice every time. And my money is invested alongside yours. But if, historically, if you look at the data, you here's what happens if you sold out to uh, during uh, you know a thirty percent downturn. Here's how you destroyed essentially your capital over the next x amount of years. I didn't have the data necessarily in front of me when I was talking to a client, but I was trying to explain that to them. I don't think I did an amazing job. I, I think I could have maybe worded things a little bit better. Uh, but it it's just funny because yes, uh, our advice is going to be the same every time when it comes to certain timeless principles, which is you don't sell out during a market crisis. It's a bad idea historically. I use that example a lot when uh, people will ask questions about making changes and past advisor relationships. And they'll mention that when they call with questions or want something changed, the advisor or the investor will say, oh, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll change this. We'll change that. And, and we'll do that right away. And I always ask, if they're planning on making those changes, why did it take you calling and telling them to do it? typically you'd want someone to tell you, no, we're not going to change anything because we're going to stick to our original plan. And you may not like that answer at the time, but I truly believe that's what's best for you. I, I've experienced that conversation before. And I just start to think like, do you walk back to the kitchen and be like, Hey, flip that burger now. Like I, I, I want it to go. Oh no, don't put the ketchup on that side. Do this. Like if you're doing that, you're not going to that restaurant. You better have confidence that that chef is um, going to take that that whole process from A to Z um, without your guidance or advice. Um, if your advisor is just an order taker, then you are the advisor um, and you are the overseer. And you have to understand that because don't be fooled by those roles if you are calling the shots. Um, and again, it's your money. Uh, I'm not taking away from that. But the whole reason that you're hiring somebody is you want to have confidence that they are going to be good stewards of your money uh, and their education and their background and their emotional capacity is good enough to do it on your behalf. Um, it was interesting with one of the other advisors, we're talking to somebody that was interested in learning more about the Bonsa Group this week, and they told us um, that they had a really bad advisor experience. And tell me more. Um, you know, back in 2008, markets were crashing and um, – the advisor was telling me that, uh, you know, markets were down 42%, but they were only down 40%. And he just talked about how horrible of an experience that is. And um, he then said, hey, I took it over on my own after that and I became a self-directed investor. And then sometime later, he hired another advisor and he talked about how the experience was good. And I was like, okay, like, tell me about that. And he was like, well, they explained to me that that's what markets do. And, um, and that if I wanted to get the type of returns my expectations were, then I had to stay invested. 
And it was a really good experience. And I was like, wow, the only difference between those two things was the advisor's ability to educate the client and have a conversation where the other advisor was trying to, I guess, brag that they were doing a little bit better than the market in a very tumultuous time. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, it's another reminder of how important education is. And maybe just a miss for that first advisor to say, hey, if just this little tweak or this little change or this way that you take your knowledge and expertise and pass it on to the client is so important because all of it gets back to framing and somebody feeling comfortable um, knowing, you know, what's, What's around the next corner? That, that's kind of what they want to know because there's such a high level of uncertainty. I, I completely agree. We are in the communications business, and uh, if we can't communicate what we're doing and why we're doing it, 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 it it's not even it, it's, it's it's almost more important than actually doing it because the like you said the cli- then the client's behavior isn't going to be aligned with our our advice, and it's so important. I think. Uh, to demonstrate that uh, that knowledge, and I, I think th- that being able to properly couch that data and being able to, and uh, and Trevor mentioned earlier the jargon in our business, uh, you know, we're, we're, the the labels are endless: small cap, large cap, all time highs. Uh, the stock markets don't don't catch a falling knife. There are all these different labels and sayings, and. Uh, it's really difficult when you turn on your TV to not be emotionally affected by what you see. And that's really the reason, like Trevor's saying, you have an advisor is because all that has been uh, thought of. There's a framework for decision making. And it's something that, uh, you know, obviously we're always refining with new data, uh, but some something we study and, um, uh, you know, just helps you make much better decisions and not get caught up in the mood of the moment and uh, do something that you, you end up uh, regretting. Yeah, going back to where we started, Mythbusters, uh, we will make fun of Trevor for a moment here. Um, I had heard a myth before that uh, if you used your cell phone at the gas station, that there could be like a spark in your cell phone and with the fumes that it could cause an explosion. Um, And for that reason, I just often didn't use my cell phone (laughs) because I was like, "Ah, better safe than sorry, right? They did a Mythbusters episode uh, about that. It's a myth. It never happened. Um, it was what about a, those Samsung phones that would catch on fire? Yeah, maybe those. <laughs> um, but it was a tall tale, and it changed my behavior. Uh, uh, I would use my cell phone at a gas station now, um, and uh, it's funny, but those things will steer us to the way that we behave. And uh, knowledge is important. As controversial as this is right now, um, who doesn't think that we will look back at this COVID moment? and have critiques about how we handled it, things we did good, things that we did bad, and, and things we didn't know about. Um, we might all sit here and laugh about, uh, you know, how Louis Pasteur uh, understood how, you know, uh, bacteria was passed on when people were studying cadavers um, with no gloves on and then going to delivering babies and mothers were passing away. And wait, what is the connection point here? Intuitive, obvious, everything for us now. Why? Because of education. Um, but not so much if that is not your, uh, your expertise. Uh, if it's not your expertise, you just lean on the, exp- uh, the, the myths. You lean on the adages. Uh, you lean on what your neighbor told you in passing at, at one point. And that's what an advisor is here to do. They're here to be mythbusters. So um, the conclusion is, uh, is investing at all-time highs a bad idea? It's a myth. It's not a bad idea. I will put my own money in the markets at all-time highs. I will show you data points of uh, – 
how it has behaved in the past. And guess what? There is a fork in the road. Sometimes it will go against you, but as long as you're not investing for money that you want to use literally tomorrow, um, that you have time horizons that are appropriate for that type of asset class, then uh, this myth has been busted. So I will uh, go around the horn real quick for final thoughts, and then we'll wrap up. So we'll start with you, Mr. Sean Latimer. Nothing to add. Enjoyed being here. Thanks for listening. Yeah, just uh, important to draw the right lessons from, uh, you know, from market events. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here as well. <laughs> I'll actually finish up with my own myth, very related to the gasoline. I just don't touch my car because I've heard, uh, if, you know, people get in, get a little bit of like static. Friction. Or yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I don't touch the car. I, I lock it. I pump the gas. Once that thing is oh. back on, then I touch the car. So uh, if any of our listeners ever see Kenny Molina at the gas station and think he's some sort of mime as he's like kind of walking <laughs> around the car, not touching anything, uh, you know why. And you heard it here first. Um, and with that said, we'll ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. Daya loves it when I say that. Uh, leave comments. Uh, if you'd like, you can email us at tom at com. You can address that email to Sean, Daya, Kenny, or Trevor. We're happy to answer questions. We're happy to do a podcast specifically about what you want to hear about. So um, give us feedback. We would love to hear it. Uh, And with that said, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.